This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Before we jump into this next class, there's three ideas or three people, sort of, or three groups that I would like to just shout out to because it's just something which has been bubbling inside me, sort of Hakara Satoiv, and I, I can't go further until I express these three, um, gratitude to these three groups. The first one, is TorahAnytime.com, which is an amazing, amazing website, which has allowed me, my organization, MarriagePro.co, to take um, these marriage classes and to get them out to such an amazing, broad audience. And and the, these, the people who run it, Hashem should pay them back. I don't know if anybody in this world could. Um, it's an amazing place, organization, and they deserve everybody's support and encouragement. Um, the second one is Agudas Yisrael of America, um, they gave us a platform and the opportunity to speak there um, at this past Agoda Convention, which was amazing, amazing experience. So I really just wanted to thank them publicly for that opportunity. And the third one is to a group of people who have taken out from their busy schedules and they give feedback on these classes, which is amazing to hear, get emails and texts and WhatsApp from people all around the world, um, specifically when it's positive, and specifically when people are able to take one idea and they say, you know, this class and this idea and this problem that I had, we put it all together and we were able to maximize our relationship just a little bit. That makes me and those who support, you know, this organization, um, it's really, really a great feeling. So people take things a lot of times and they don't think to turn around and say, Thank you or give the feedback, but really want to just express appreciation for those who, who do that. Now, a person reached out recently and they said to me like this. They said, I have a bit of, of, of a question. He said, my own marriage is not so great. It's not so great. Be honest, it's not so great. However, he said, I have three daughters, various ages, and these three daughters, I don't want them to experience the pain and the sadness of an of a empty, bad marriage. And how can I help them prepare them for what's to come? They're going to get married in two years, five years, ten years, whatever the case may be. What can I as a father, what can I do in order to help my daughters prepare for marriage? So the first idea, and I want to bring out three ideas, but the first idea is that a good person has a good chance at having a good relationship because marriage ultimately is about self-perfection. Anyone who's married for more than five minutes, they recognize that all of their ideas and, and their hasagos, their, their concepts of different things, get challenged when you're married. Everybody. Everybody will say this. And some people, they rise to the challenge and some people... They just start, my wife is so naggy, my husband driving me crazy. And then there's the groups that they just sort of just like drift apart. They say, this is not working for me. This is just driving me nuts. I didn't sign up for this. I'm just going to go out and play poker or I'm going to go learn a lot or stay out of the house or be very busy with my job. So there's different groups of people. But the most successful people in life, in marriage, are the people who recognize that marriage is about self-perfection and self-development. And I told this person that if you can prepare your daughters just with that one idea, working on yourself to become a bigger person, a better person, to have different hasagos, to 
to, to recognize that when life throws you a curveball, you're able to hit it. And then when things don't go your way, you're able to work on yourself instead of just falling apart. That is the most crucial element or one of the most crucial elements that anybody can have. I always tell people when they're dating, when, when you're looking for a spouse, one of the key things that you want to look for is how does this person deal when things don't go their way? Because every, everybody can be blissful when everything is great, right? If you walk into a relationship and, and you walk into to a marriage and somebody says to you, here's a gorgeous car with a gorgeous spouse, with a gorgeous home, with tons of money in the bank, and everything's just fed to you, and here's a, a little tropical island for you guys to just take it easy, then sure, everyone's going to have a very easy time, right? But when life throws challenges at you, whether it's Parnassa, whether it's children, whether it's a house, or whether whatever the case may be, that is going to be your challenge. And on a daily basis, we are challenged. And the challenges can either bring people really close together when those people have the tools to work on themselves and recognize that life is about self-development so that when something happens, they don't flip out and they don't go crazy and they say, I could handle this and it's going to bring me closer to my spouse or it could pull you apart if you're not really ready to deal with it. And one of the key things that I always tell people when they're dating and they ask, I say to them, try to find somebody that's at least on your wavelength when it comes to dealing with adversity, to, when it comes to dealing with things which don't go their, go their way. And the best type of people, and I always say there's two people in the world, there's growers and there's non-growers. Growers are the best people because wherever they are today, they're going to be better tomorrow. And when you can instill that in your daughters and your children and yourself, that will be a tool which will help you for the rest of life. Now, there's a Pasuk in the Torah, and there's a lot of Pasuk in the Torah, but there's one Pasuk in the Torah which I believe that this Pasuk is Absolutely life-changing. And it's one of those things in Parshish Beratius, and, and, and in uh, Sefer Beratius, and the, the thing I love about Sefer Beratius, and I think a lot of people love about Sefer Beratius, is that Beratius is like when you're a kid, you learn it, and you think you have it all figured out. By the time you come home in Pre-1A, with the Hasidic man, with the Krasl the Kapayas, you know, where you're colored it in, you think you know the whole story. You think you know from about Adam, you think you know about Avram, you think you know about Yaakov, the Shvatim, you have it all figured out. Even the beginning of Shemais, when we start talking about Mitzrayim and everything, you hear the Midrashim once, you're like, okay, I got it. Once it starts Parshish Mishpatim, when you start with all the Halachas, then you say, okay, this I'll have to really learn when I grow up. But what's amazing is when year after year after year, you go back to Barashas, and you go through all the Parshish, and then you hear Pasuk, and you're like, I just thought that was a story that didn't mean anything to me. And when that story punches you in the gut, and it's like, no, this will change your life, to me, that's just totally earth-shattering. So, Let's jump into the story. The story says that Avram and Sarah have a baby. The baby's name is Yitzchak. Two years later, Avram throws a big party. And the Pasuk says, Vayigdal hayeled vayigamal. So Yitzchak became older. How old was he? He was two years old, Rashi says. And he was weaned. He stopped nursing from his mother. Vayas Avram gadol. Avram makes a big party. On the day that Yitzchak was weaned. Now, a side note to this, before we jump into this idea, somebody once told me the most amazing way to learn Chumash. The most amazing way to learn Chumash is with a critical eye. And take each word and say to yourself, does this belong here? Do I know this already? What are you telling me? Why did it say it like this? It could have said it like that. Question, before you look in Rashi, the Ramban, the Malbum, anybody, ask that question. Just break it down. 
And generally, when you do that, you'll start coming up with a thousand questions. And then when you start going through the Rashi and, and Ramban and Balaturim and the Rashbam and the Sefer, all of a sudden you'll start seeing your questions there. And it's such a great feeling when you get your questions answered. So, looking at this Pasuk, the Pasuk says that he turned two years old. Right? Rashi says he turned two years old. And then Avram made a party on the day that he turned two years old. Okay, I know that he tur- turned two years old because you just mentioned it. You just said he turned two years old by Yigdal. He became older, which means that he became two years old, right? To the point where he was now weaned. And then you made a party. When was that party? On the day he was weaned. So you already told me this information. Why are you telling me this information again? Rabbi Yitzchak Zilberjian says, amazing, mind, mind-blowing idea. He says, let's understand the backstory to this story. The backstory was that there were people, the Litzane Hadar, the people who would make fun of Avram and make, make fun of Sarah. And they would go around and they would say, ah, you didn't really have the baby. That doesn't make any sense. You're 100 years old. She's 90 years old. You guys, there's no way you had the baby. So what happened? On the day that Sarah went ahead and weaned Yitzchak, she took all the neighboring children and she nursed those children and when she nursed the children she was showing look i'm a mother right i'm able to nurse all these children it must be that this child is also mine so wait a minute says Reb Zilbershin, i have a question for you if that was the case and they went ahead and they she was nursing all of these children then the question is even stronger why did you wait two years why did you, Avram and Sarah, wait two years to prove to the whole world that you were the parents? That doesn't make any sense. If people are saying, hey, you didn't have that baby, you didn't have that baby, then the day of the bris, the day of the Shalom Zachar, the day of, of, of the Pidyan Aben, Sarah should have said, hey, everybody should know, I am the mother. Stop with all these rumors, I am the mother. Why did you wait two years? So says Rabbi Zilberstein, that the Psukim here are telling you the Shvach of Avram and Sarah. Could you imagine if there was a rumor about you, right? The first thing you would want to do is quash that rumor as fast as you could, right? You'd want to run out and tell the whole world, it's not true, they don't know what they're saying, they're lying. Avram and Sarah had people who were making fun of them. So the first thing they wanted to do was run out and say, hey, stop, it's not true, we are the parents, Hashem gave us this matana, right? That's what they wanted to do. And how is Sarah going to prove it? By nursing all of these children. But, there's a halacha. And the halacha says is that if a mother who's nursing her baby wants to go and nurse another baby, the halacha is that her husband's allowed to tell her, don't do that. You're not supposed to do that because this milk that you're giving to another child is taking away from our child. How much is it taking away from your child? Very little. But at the same time, you're not supposed to do that because you're affecting your child just a little bit. So says Reb Zilberstein, and this is the most amazing idea that a parent's job, a husband's job, a person's job in this world is to recognize that when I give, it feels so good. And when I take, it doesn't feel as good. And when I give something, even if it's to myself, and even if it's rooted in a principle, if I'm affecting someone else, I have to think twice before I take for myself. What does that mean? Avram had this overwhelming urge to go and tell Sarah, go nurse all the babies in the neighborhood. Get this rumor about us out of here. But he didn't. Why not? 
because it would have affected their little baby son Yitzchak just a tiny drop. But he said, if that's the case, then we're not allowed to do it. Our own interests cannot come before even that of a newborn baby, of a one-year-old baby, of an 18-month-old baby. We have to wait until the baby is completely on his own, and only then are we allowed to go out and serve our own interests. I, You can't find a more powerful idea when it comes to marriage. We all have our ideas, our hasagas, our concepts. I want this, she wants that. She wants that, I want this. We all have all of these things. The Pasuk is telling you, if you want to have a successful relationship with somebody, the only way you can do it, or the most maximum way that you can do it, you want to have a maximized relationship, then anything that you want can have nothing against the other person. It can't infringe on on their happiness even a half a cup of milk. Nothing. Nothing. Any idea that you want, any thoughts that you want, you want to go out to eat, fine. You have to make sure the other person is completely on board with what you want. That's an idea called Kesher. Kesher is, I feel for you. I love you. I want you to be happy. That is marriage. Not, I want you to be happy with my decisions. You're like, a lot of, a lot of spouses, they say that. All I want is she should just stop bothering me. Stop nudging me. Let me just make my decisions and just go along with me already. Just stop. No, no. That's not a marriage. That's selfish. That's not a relationship. A relationship, a maximized relationship, according to the Torah, is when you put the person before you, or at least you put your own interests on the shelf if it's going to affect the other person. Whether that comes to picking up your children in the morning, whether it means calling your spouse at work, whether it means spending their money, whatever that means to you, it has to be that your spouse cannot be affected negatively by your actions, by your thoughts, by your decisions, by the things that you're going to do in your life. That's the second lesson. The third lesson is on the same Pasuk. And that's where I love this. The Pasuk says that he made a big party. The child became bigger. He was two years old. And he became weaned. And Avram made a big party. What does that mean to you? What does it mean Avram made a big party? So I'll tell you what it means to me. Streamers and a band and maybe a DJ. Right? He had he had a thousand people. Uh, beautiful, you know, food and, and, and goblets and, and all these other things. That's to me what means a big party. Rashi says he made a mishtagal, he made a big party. Shahayusham Gedele Hadar, because the Gedele Hadar were there. Shame, Aver, and Avimelech. So Shame and Aver and Avimelech came to this party, and that's what Rashi says is a mishtagal, is a big party. Now, <laughs> between me and you, that doesn't sound like such a hopping party, right? It doesn't sound like a big party at all. You take a little table, you put Avram, Shem, Aver, Avimelech, and that's it, you're done. That's, that sounds like what the whole party was. And that's what Rashi says. So the Sifsei Chachamim, he says, yeah, you're 100% true. He says, because if you think that a big party means a lot of people, then you don't understand how to read the Chumash. Because the Torah's concept of big and your concept of big are different. The Chavetz Chaim was once visited by somebody from America. 
famous story. I don't remember who the person was, but they came to visit the Chavetz Chaim. And the Chavetz Chaim says to the person, where are you from? And he says, I'm from New York. And now, again, we're going back a hundred years ago. He says, oh, you're from New York? Is New York a big city? So the person says, yeah, New York is a very big city. And he says, well, you've been here in Radin. What do you think about Radin? Is Radin a big city? So he says, Radin, uh, not such a big city, right? So the guy was like, yeah, very cute. You know, <laughs> New York is big and Radin is not so big. So the Chavetz Chaim says, I want to tell you something. He says, in Shemayim, they have a different map. And in that map, Radin is very big. And New York is very small. And I want you to remember for the rest of your life that Radin is big and that New York is small. Because the Hasaga of what we call big and what you call big is different. New York is big because it has a lot of skyscrapers. It has a lot of people. But Radin is big because it has the Chavetz Chaim. It has Reb Naftali. It has Reb Shimon Shkav. It has all the G'daylam come to the, the whole world revolved around Radin because that's where the Chavetz Chaim lived. Reb Chaim Meizer, the whole world would come to, to, to Chavetz Chaim to talk to him for two minutes. That is called big. The greatest tool that a person can do for himself and for his children is to recognize what it truly means to be big. What does it mean to be big? To be big means to recognize that it's better to have more chachma than more money. That it's better to give than to receive. That it's better to work on yourself than to become angry. They recognize what is truly valuable in this world. If you change around the way you feel about things, then you will have a successful marriage. You will have successful relationships with your children. You will have successful relationships in business. There's a, a friend of mine, a tzaddik, a tzaddik, a young tzaddik, one of the Lamed Vav Tzaddikim. He told me he went, he got a job, he was dying to take this job. He walks into the job and he, see, he sat there for a few days. And after a few days, he's talking to one of the head, head bosses. He got into this company. He was like on a trajectory to make tons of money. And he's watching the person conduct business. And the person says to him, you know, what do you think about how things are going over here? And he turns to the guy and he says to him, you know, I want to thank you for this amazing opportunity, but I'm sorry, I have to quit. And the guy says, you have to quit? Are you crazy? Like, what are you talking about? You're going to make millions of dollars if you work here. And, and you're the guy. I'm going to, you're going to take my place here at the helm of this company. And he says, no, you don't understand. For you, to be a big person means to have a lot of money. To me, it means to be straight in business. I would rather make a tenth of the salary that I'm going to be making. I would rather make the miser that I would be giving on the salary you would offer me rather than sit in your chair. Because your chair is sitting crooked. The way you do business, the way you conduct yourself, I would never want my children, I would never want to... I would never want my children to see me doing that, but I would never want to do that. I don't want to live in this office. He says, I don't even want to work for you. You are so crooked in the way that you think. That person, he he has the tools. He understands what it means to be big. And the three steps of having successful relationships is number one, to recognize that marriage is about self-development. And when you develop yourself outside of the home, even before you're married, but especially when you're married, 
You get into a little fender bender, you don't flip out. Something doesn't go your way, you don't flip out. You're able to handle things so much better in your life. And a lot of this has to do with the Muna and Bitachan. We're not even going to go there. Just recognize this idea. The second one is that you have to recognize, you have to give. And not just give, you have to be so sensitive to the other person that your, your things, the things in your life, they don't affect the other person negatively. And the third one is change your hasagas. Change your hasagas to be big. And when your hasagas are big, they're huge, then the small things in life won't bother you. And not only that, you'll recognize that sometimes the things that the world thinks are small are actually big. And the things that the world thinks are big are actually very small. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.